Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Chuck Fuck Moments, our supernatural watchcast, where today we are going to be listening to, and again, I forget to introduce myself, B, every time. <laughs> every time. She, every time she has to remind me, and by the magic of editing, we cut it out and, and, and splice it in like it never happened, but no, I am your co-host, Remy. Hi, guys. Hi, and I am your other co-host, B. And, as I said, this is No Chick Flick Moments. Today we're talking about discussing Season 14, Episode 5, Nightmare Logic. This was a really good one. I super it enjoyed was, it. it I, I did too. It was, it was a... a it, it was a Monster of the Week episode, but it was so well written, which makes sense because this episode was written by Meredith Glynn. And, and it was the director? directed by Darren Grant. I like how I just kind of slip into my like broadcaster announcer voice uh, when I'm when I'm talking about these written and directed in the description. And the description reads that uh... <laughs> Shut up, don't make fun of me. The description I'm not you totally are uh the description reads after a hunt gone wrong leaves maggie's whereabouts unknown sam dean mary and bobby race to find her but what they find are their own worst nightmares full cast today full cast and i forgot to read the synopsis in advance of watching it and i had almost forgotten that bobby and mary were going to be making an appearance in this one too (laughs) So, so you were as surprised as Sam and Dean were when they showed up. Yeah, I got to have that organic moment again. <laughs> yeah, we we start right off in Claremore, Oklahoma, where Maggie is on her own and she is entering into this private graveyard late at night. And Super creepy. Yes. She pulls out a little go camera when she's outside of the Rawling crypt and she lets uh, the camera know basically that she suspects that there's a ghoul in here and she's going to go in with her machete. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't take her too long before she reaches the bottom of the mausoleum. She hears something approaching and as she turns, she's blindsided by this really haggard looking creature. Now, I, I, I didn't have my brightness all the way up, but <laughs> did you, did we have one of those horror movie moments where there was a figure behind her that kind of like wasn't there when we looked again? Because I know that there were those statues, some some saint statues and some Mary statues, uh, or angel statues, I should say. And, uh, but I, I, so you knew, you saw those when 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 Maggie was exploring this dark crypt with her little flashlight that apparently doesn't shine for shit. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> get some LEDs, man. <laughs> I thought you were professionals. I mean, now they're hunting. What was it? Sam said there there was a good solid sixteen hunters that he was taking care of, and assuming that's teams, like that's a lot of equipment to be on top of. I don't know what kind of budget they have at the bunker. Oh my gosh, I've got I've got some feelings about teams, but <laughs> yes. I mean, Ma- Maggie's there by herself, and I and at, in this opening scene, I'm like, Maggie, what are you doing? The bu- what's where, yeah, how did you get the, here alone? The buddy system, man. Is this your first day? Yes, it is her first day. Yeah, spoilers, <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, I, I do think that I saw, like I said, one of those classic horror movie moments where there was a figure behind her in the gloom, and then it wasn't there, or it moved. And she got, it was right before she got blindsided by this this uh, creepy, creepy old dead looking dude that yeah, jumped yeah. her in the dark. That, that is some very pale skin on the dude, some very sunken eyes, and just rope out of the darkness, and she's down. Mm. And then we go over to the bunker where Sam is debriefing what looks like about half a dozen hunters and almost giving them homework assignments. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's propped up on a on a, the arm of a chair. Or is he standing? It doesn't matter. He's standing before this table of hunters and he's coaching, it seems. He's, he's telling them, you know, be smart take notes all information is good information you guys are doing great let's go yeah and you say like he has this very teacherly vibe and dean says as much when he comes in he's like Uh you know you're practically a camp counselor vibe coming off you right now Uh uh-huh uh-huh dean comes in and catches the tail end of sam's little uh uh, a pep talk or or lesson and immediately starts making fun of him yeah just Poking fun at the parental vibes that Sam is giving off here, being like, okay, you kids have fun out there, like, Uh trying to be the jokesy dad to the serious one. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Sam, you know, bitch faces abound. Yes. And Sam kind of dismisses the hunters and then and then goes to get more coffee. And like I said, Dean is at his shoulder the whole while, uh, trailing him, heckling him. Uh, his uh, Sam's phone is going off and Dean says, what is that? And Sam says, check-ins. And Dean, oh, check-ins? That's adorable. Yes. Like, he just can't fathom having that much structure, I think, to the hunter lifestyle because they would have just grown up with their dad being the one to give them the predominant rundown of what the day-to-day looks like. And then as they got older, you know, Bobby got introduced and they met other hunters along the way, but it was still very unstructured, whereas Sam is doing things in a very regimented fashion right now. We were kind of told in the early seasons that, yes, there is a system of hunters. I mean, look at the roadhouse or look at Bobby. Um, But John, uh, one part, never trusted enough to participate in those networks. And one part got himself booted from those networks because he was who he is. And and he seemed to uh, uh, be uh, notorious as a kind of uh unreliable or 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 just it's not not someone pleasant to work with yeah he wouldn't really cooperate nicely with others he's yes he would lean on his own plans more than he would accept others yes so he was definitely a uh, lone wolf in the hunter world and and you know and from that sam and dean uh, were kept away from those hunter networks that John kind of made himself an enemy of early on. So they were also kind of raised as those lone wolf hunters. Yeah. And to mimic one of the later characters, what she says, like they were too young to know any better. Oh my God. This is just the way that it was. 
be I basically wrote down that conversation word for word. So I can't wait to get to it because <laughs> we're going to talk we're going to talk about it. Oh yes. Oh but, yes. But for now Dean is doing his check-ins with Sam, you know. Okay, you don't seem like you have gotten very much sleep and even if it is wild out there right now, he still needs to take care of himself. But Sam is adamant that you know, he, he has too many things to do right now to consider as paltry a thing as, oh, my body needs sleep. Yeah. Um, he has the 16 hunter teams, excluding Cass and Jack, he says, in Sarasota, and Mary and Bobby in Texas. And that although these people are experienced with war, it's not the same as hunting. That they still require lore, tips, backup. They need to be trained on how to survive this life. Yeah. Uh, and and Sam is not only acting as the Bobby of the situation. When I say Bobby, I mean the old Bobby, the, uh, the, the hunter support. But he's also a one-man man of letters right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. Sam would have seen how valuable that was to their life, how many times they relied on calling up Bobby for information and to think, okay, here's a whole schwack of people that have zero experience. Well, I can step in and be that role for them. Yeah. And at this point, we're not quite sure if, or at least for me, we're not quite sure if Sam is reveling in this role he is the the um you know ch- he's chief you know he has built something and it's something good um yeah but is he enjoying he, it or is he just taking this role because someone needs to step into it i just want him to enjoy it okay i want <laughs> and and i think that he would like after we see this episode here today we can see all the characters around him that although there might be some questions regarding his suitability for it i feel like those questions more come from say Bobby's Bobby second guessing his own self and then projecting those things as opposed to Sam himself being questioned of his worth because Sam Sam is in this role and Mary and Dean have no doubts that he is excelling at it one of the big themes of this episode is that question uh, is Sam fit for this and does he feel fit for this and that he is doing a good job or is he in over his head yes and by proxy if he's in over his head then are the other hunters in danger too right right because as we're sitting here in the kitchen sam got his coffee refill and dean's saying you need some sleep man uh, his phone beeps and he checks it and his, and, and I don't even know what Sam's face was doing because it was so subtle, right? That he just kind of like uh, blinked at his phone, like, oh, maybe this is something unexpected. But I loved Dean in that moment who just clued in instantly. Like yes. I said, to me, as the, even as the viewer, it was just like Sam pulled out his phone and maybe we got a little furrow of the brows, but Dean insta serious no more playing he says no what's wrong yeah because despite how dean might be teasing him dean is concerned about his brother's well-being and when sam shows that he is concerned about whatever is showing up on his phone screen then dean is going to snap to that attentiveness and see what's wrong and if there's anything that he can do 
I, I really loved that. I thought it was a good brotherly moment. I think I mentioned last week, like, this is how they love, right? They tease and they heckle and they neg on each other, right? But it's, yeah. it's, it's from some, it's from a place of love and it's also understood to be what it is, which is uh, there's brotherly torment and then there's real, I'm there for you. Yes. Yeah, they break the tension of their sincerity with each other with these little jokes. But when the moment calls for it, then they will be sincere. Right, right. And and so Maggie missed check-in. Yes. And so Sam goes to retrieve his laptop. He is looking through the information on it while Dean tries calling Maggie's phone and gets no answer. And it's here that we find out that Sam has set up the hunters with body cams that back up immediately to a server. And these cameras come with the intention of not only having real-world information that he can use to show these newbie hunters, but also that he has a record in case things go wrong. Yep, he, he couches it two different ways. You learn by viewing and... If something does go wrong, we have a starting point for what went wrong. So smart. Yes. And it wouldn't come quickly. Like, to get this infrastructure, we were joking earlier that, oh, what kind of budget would it take to buy all these body cams? But it does take some time. And then to have these things routing to a server where they're automatically backing up. Like, there's some tech savviness that's going on there that I would assume that Sam is probably shouldering the brunt of considering in Apocalypse World. I don't know how much technical infrastructure they have after having (laughs) Angel War for so many years. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Bobby with his uh, DFA, DNA, Oh, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't talk about that in episode one because I was so mad. I'm like, a second grader knows what DNA is, okay? <laughs> oh, that was I know, but, but his second grade was a long time ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, and then he and then he's like, oh, oh, it's been a while. Forgive me if I'm uh, not up to snuff on my FBI lingo. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay, but we're not talking about episode two right now. <laughs> not yet. No. Um, I, I feel like we're going to go back to episode one briefly, but that'll come later. Uh For now, Sam has pulled up the footage that came from Maggie's body cam, and Sam immediately fears the worst for Maggie. But Dean Mm. is trying to puzzle this out logically, saying, you know, a ghoul wouldn't attack the living. This doesn't seem to make much sense. Right. Ghouls are scavengers, so something's not adding up. And if something's not adding up, then maybe she's not dead maybe we have a chance here because sam immediately goes worst case scenario you saw what i saw you saw her get jumped ghouls don't take prisoners yeah and i think that sam's instinct to go to the negative here might reflect on the fact that he knows he has so many balls up in the air that he's juggling and he is just dreading the day when something falls yes yeah yep yep But Big Brother Dean, he is being uh, counter to Sam. He's being the voice of optimism. He says, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's go find out. Let's take some action here. Yes. Yeah, we'll go and try and find her. So Sam and Dean drive out to this place in Oklahoma, and they approach the same private cemetery where Maggie was last seen. Dean is teasing about saying, oh, you know, private cemetery, that's super convenient. And Sam (laughs) is like, the fuck are you talking about? 
And we get the backstory of how Maggie found this case, which was essentially that there were some people out here, quote unquote, studying (laughs) when they came across a walker and had to go split. Sam's uh, a walker, you know, it's, it's from The Walking Dead. Dean immediately, I know what a walker is, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I really like that because, I mean, we spoke last episode about Dean's relationship with media, but it seems so often that Dean has this timestamp where um, it has to be content before a certain date that he is appealed by uh-huh. and anything beyond that. It seems to be at least the assumption from Sam that Dean's not going to know what it is. And by all means, it's a bit hit and miss with what Dean's interests lie on. But he doesn't just stay stuck in the past. There are things like The Walking Dead and other information that interests him. So uh, again, Dean's relationship with media is a super interesting one to me. And I like any time we get these glimpses into it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was funny. And it was another of those little Dean insights. And when Dean is walking up to the crypt, he sees some discarded beer cans at the entrance of the crypt. And he gives Sam a little look like those students were uh, studying, were they? And- yeah. Yeah, my kind of studying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The ones that were chased away by the walker. And they enter the crypt. It's daytime now, I would like to say. Like, Maggie, again, <laughs> maybe get your shit just, together. Maybe Maggie just wanted the full experience, you know? Like, I I want the 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 shiver me. I want, <laughs> I want the tits out fear of going into this mausoleum by myself at dark. Like... She was excited. We hear from Maggie that she was nervous, but she was excited. Did I say yeah. Maggie or did I say Mary? You said Maggie, but we hear from Mary, yes. Yes, Mary says that Maggie is excited to be going on this case. Her first solo case. But, but we go into the crypt. Yes. And when Sam and Dean get to the bottom of it, same as where Maggie was, they see drag marks along the ground. But um, Dean is optimistic because they don't see any blood. Yeah. And maybe, maybe uh, uh, this ghoul didn't finish the job. Maybe he's taken her away a snack for later, to put it uh, callously. <laughs> yes. And so they're they're arguing a bit about whether or not she's still alive. But regardless, they decide they want to find whatever did this and kill it. Yeah. And while they're down there, this voice calls out from up on the main grounds. And so they announce, okay, we're coming up. Um, don't don't hit us with your hoe there. <laughs> and they give their aliases as Harrison and Burns and say they're with the Historical Preservation Society. Yes, we see the groundskeeper. Yes. Right? Yeah, this... the groundskeeper Dan. Yep, yep. This man who who's, is wielding a hoe with <laughs> with gumption. Yes. They, they spin him a line saying that they're here with the city and they're just looking at getting uh, preservation status to the building. And that segues into them being invited up to the house to speak to the homeowner. Yep. And so we, we cut to the guy in question, who is Neil, and he is stoked by the prospect of the <laughs> preservation taking place. I loved that. I love... Because, okay, one, it wasn't your typical FBI... Tell me everything you know, because I'm FBI. So uh, 
it was it was a fresh alias and and two i like that they kind of weaved it into neil's enthusiasm and it was just a thread that ran through the whole episode where neil was just like oh gosh i hope this doesn't affect our chances with the historical yes (laughs) yeah it's not often that you see sam and dean approach somebody who is enthusiastic about whatever role they've chosen Uh normally people are speaking with reluctance to them about whatever has taken place but I mean, without even getting to the information they're trying to glean from the case, Sam and Dean have already got their foot inside the door and onto the welcome mat. Like, they're in and they can do as they please. They are ushered in. But Neil is a bit curious, like, okay, how how many people (laughs) need to be here in order to preserve this location? And Uh Sam and Dean are like, okay, what? And we round the corner and lo and behold, Bobby and Mary have also shown up just recently. (laughs) Yeah. And and we have Mary and Bobby in a little newsboy cap. Yep. (laughs) For some reason. He's Um, dressed in fancy. He's he's, feeling himself. He is dressed in fancy. He's dressed to impress. For Bobby's standards, absolutely. And they're sitting on the couch and, and no one, neither was expecting the other. No. And there is this masked conversation where they're talking about, oh, you know, you should have checked in with the main office. And Bobby being like, well, the main office is run by idiots. And oh Dean's God. even face is like, he looks to his mom like, the fuck is going on? Oh my God. I know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Bobby this time that's firing off the salt rounds. I know. I'm like, holy shit, that wasn't even pretending to be subtle. No. Like, okay, you're telling the main office, quote unquote, to his face what you think. Like, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, so I'm putting my back foot by that. I, I, I'm curious to see where it's going. Yes. So Mary immediately excuses herself with Sam and is going to brief him what's going on. And um, they find out that Neil is not the homeowner, but instead the nurse to the homeowner, which is a Mr. Rowling. And this is where we find out that it was Maggie's first hunt solo, that she was excited and nervous about it. And Mary and Bobby were in touch with her as she was going through it, giving her tips. But then she stopped texting for pointers. And at that point, they decided to drive out and see how she was doing in person. Right, right. And Mary says, I'm sorry, we should have called, but we were just concerned. So they're all there on the on the same mission. You know, they all want the same thing. They're just going to we're just going to roll with it. Yeah. And for a moment, it seems like Sam's going to be like, no, it's fine. Like you couldn't text. But he I think that there still is he's trying to respect the rules for all the hunters. And so he he lets Mary be apologetic for not following the rules. I do know what you're talking about. I knew, I know the exact moment that you're talking about. Mary says, I'm sorry, we should have called. And he didn't say, yeah, you should have. But I think he does just let, like you said, let it, let it go. Yeah. He lets it stand as an apology without really acknowledging what to do about it. But his not, his non-verbally, he is saying like, yeah, you should have called. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't get too long to talk before Dean is calling them over. And they, so Sam and Mary now join Bobby and Dean and Neil in the room where Mr. Rawling is being kept. And What Neil describes is that he had 
suffered a stroke and Mr. Rowling is set up with transfusions and a ventilator and Sam and Dean looking at him recognize him as the ghoul on the footage from Maggie's body cam. Yeah. And so Neil tries waking up Mr. Rowling um, but at this time there is a woman's voice calling out and we are now introduced to Sasha who is Mr. Rowling's daughter. She comes in with her grocery bag and she's taken aback by this room full of strangers. Yeah. Uh, and and Mary and Bobby are both like putting on their best little school smiles, you know, like, hi. <laughs> she's like, what's going on? And Neil hops in again to, to you know, don't mess this up for me, Sasha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want this preservation status. Yeah. <laughs> And before we jump into the next conversation, there was a small glimpse between the scenes there where we saw Maggie strung up and scared somewhere hidden. And there are blood bags situated around her. So this was our first glimpse like, okay, Maggie is still alive, but she's not in a good spot. Right, right. She's she's weakly calling for help. And she's, uh, like you said, strung up and weak. Yeah, but it's just a short glimpse because we're going to be returning to Sasha. And so Sam and Dean are trying to talk with her, but she just doesn't know much about her dad. She just came in because of his current situation. She's getting his affairs in order, she said. Yeah. And it's very clear that she is overwhelmed by the situation she's in. Right, right. And and under the guise of this historical society, they're talking about the house and the history of ownership with the house. Um, and, well, Sasha says it's just been a really long week. And I don't actually know much because I am I was not close to my dad. I'm just here because my dad is dying. And Sam, trying to be sympathetic, he says, just a few questions. And Sasha says, no. I yeah, can't. she's like, no, 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 goodbye. Yeah, you need to leave. I can't do this. Yeah. So leave from a message, there, come back later. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I, she, she doesn't even seem like she wants to talk to them, let alone follow up, be like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. She's just, no. I'm done with this. I don't care about this. Just please yeah. leave. And where we end up is at the trunk of the Impala, where Mary and Bobby and Sam and Dean are now trying to figure out just what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah, they're running through the likely suspects. Yeah. Bobby has checked out Mr. Rawling, said that there didn't appear to be any bite marks, so they don't think it's a ghoul. He also did a holy water check, so that rules out a demon possession, which even when it is suggested, Bobby's immediately scoffing at. Yeah. It, it, could it be a shifter? Uh, Dean is the one that shoots that one down. I It doesn't seem like the shifter's MO. Uh, so, like, yeah, they're running through the likely suspects and nothing seems to fit. And, yeah. and Bobby is, again, being a little bitchy. Yeah. He's very pissy towards Sam right now. And it's Dean who prods him into voicing his opinion. And with zero hesitation, Bobby is saying that Sam let Maggie on a case that was clearly not a milk run and put her in danger. And a real leader would have known that she wasn't ready. Yeah. Oh, my God. Again, not even subtle. And uh, But again, Bobby does not have any sort of relationship with these boys. Uh, so no, no reason to pull his punches. But Dean says, 
yeah, you got something you want to say? And Bobby says, yeah, I got something I want to say. Or, yeah, I got a problem. It's him pointing to Sam. And poor Sam. At the top end of this episode, we got him already voicing his doubts. Uh, and and then we have Bobby just hammering into them. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It, because... While Bobby is saying this, um, Sam isn't responding in any way other than physically, and his body expressions let you know that he's agreeing with Bobby. Mm. He he is ready to believe anything that will assume the same position as his doubts in himself. So Bobby is saying things that Sam already fears are true, and okay, good, now I have confirmation that they're true. Right. And it also makes me think back to episode one of this season, where we spoke at length about how Bobby was the one who was saying Jack isn't ready to come on this case with us to Motown Meets. Yeah. And Sam makes the call without having have spent as much time around Jack as Bobby had. And so... Bobby went along with it at that time, and he went along with it now, but it has reached a breaking point where he doesn't think that he can agree silently with whatever Sam is doing. We have we have reached that breaking point, and, and Bobby is being overt, like, just hostile, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, Mary shuts him down. Yes. She can see that this conversation is going to go nowhere, that there are... Two different philosophies, essentially, that are happening right now when it comes to leadership, which is you can't know when someone's ready, which is what Dean says, versus what Bobby says, which is a real leader would know if they were ready or not. Oh, my heart. Yeah, it's a tough spot. I mean, I can see both sides of it, but at some point it has to be a leap of faith and Sam picked this as Maggie's moment and Bobby clearly disagrees. Ugh. Mary Mary pulls out the mom voice. She says, hey, <laughs> that's enough. And she says, like you said, this conversation is going nowhere. Let's do something actionable. Uh, Bobby, you're with Dean. Sam, you're with me. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. She's trying to bring everyone onto the same page while also neutralizing where the heat is right now. And so with Mary and Sam, we have Mary saying, like... No, don't don't listen to Bobby. You know he he doesn't come from the same perspective as what you need. But Sam is saying no. Like maybe he's right. I encouraged Maggie to go out on this hunt, but Mary just affirms that she sees the way that Sam acts within the hunter hub and says that he is born to lead. Mary is me. Mary is me in this moment. She she is trying to assure Sam best she can. And she says, um, this is, I've seen you in the past few weeks. And all I can think is this is what you were born to do. And I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> this, yes. Because again, I mean, I am biased. I'll be the first to admit. I'm like super biased here. This is what I want for Sam. I, I, I love Men of Letters, Sam. I loved Sam in season 12 when we visited this Hunter Network thing. Um, and I love to see the Hunter Hub here. I love the Hunter Hub so much, guys. I just, oh. I, hey, I just got my 10,000 steps sitting here <laughs> gesturing wildly at my mat. Uh, the my the mic, emotional so. steps that you're taking right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
But but Mary is giving further insight onto Bobby's side and essentially saying that he's been missing things lately and she's getting close to whatever is the cause of this, but the culprit still isn't clear. And so he's just been hunting, 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 and Bobby won't talk about whatever's bothering him. Yeah. What she says is that um, Sam brings up, you know... Uh, not that it's any of my business, but you and uh, Bobby seem to have been getting closer. And and Mary says, well, I thought we were, but ever since we got back, back meaning f- back from the apocalypse world. Yes. Um, because Mary and Bobby did spend months together in the apocalypse world as, wor- world as well. They've probably known each other for longer in the apocalypse world uh, than they have had here. Yes, I would agree on that. And um, so uh, Mary says, I, I thought that we were, I thought that we had something, but now I'm not so sure. Bobby has walls and he doesn't seem interested in letting me pass them. And I just don't think that, I don't know if I can do it. Yes. And she almost shocks Sam with what she says about Bobby in comparison to John. Mm. That John was always like so open and Sam's like, oh, I'm sorry, whomst are you talking about? <laughs> whomst? Uh, yeah, exactly. She's, she says, uh, Bobby's not open like your father was. And, <laughs> and Sam does the, the full-on blink meme, like, I'm sorry, we're talking about Jonathan? Uh, and, you know, credit where credit's due, Mary does see that, recognize that, and say, well, the John that I knew. Yes. Which yeah. I also thought was a real like super interesting. I don't know. Yes. I like I, I like Mary here a lot. I feel like when it comes time to talk about season fourteen, episode thirteen, Lambadon, then this is something that's going to come up again. But I do <laughs> I do like the insight of Mary understanding her relationship with John is very different than her boy's relationship with him. Yeah, and it's something that we haven't really talked about within the show, but um, this is, uh, I think that this moment is maybe either by what uh, Mary has inferred on what's been unsaid about the boys' relationship with John, or if maybe there's been some behind-the-scenes um, talks, you know, real yeah. real conversations about this, but we... <laughs> We spent 25 minutes talking John feelings last episode. Let's... We, uh, we're we going to spend, we're, we're going to limit to two minutes, okay? We can't do it again. <laughs> we can't do it again. We can't. I just wrote, I just wrote the description for episode four and it was just the, the spiral into Winchester despair. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta break things up. You gotta <laughs> shake it up. Keep things interesting. Keep it fresh. Yes. So while Mary and Sam are having this conversation, Bobby and Dean are having one of their own. And Dean is being very defensive for Sam's sake and saying that Sam has been doing better than his best. And Bobby just is being too hard on Sam and Sam is killing himself over this hunter hub. Yeah. You know, again, in front of Sam, Dean is poking fun, but he... He, I think he is himself also proud of what Sam's doing. Uh, I would he's agree. just yeah. concerned about what it is doing to Sam. 
yeah, what are the costs that are associated with Sam putting so much effort into the Hunter Hub? Yeah, so you see, you you see the Big Brother Dean. Yes, white knighting for Sam here. So there is a very short scene that follows up with this one where Sam is saying that he's still trying to get to know this Bobby, and he lets Mary have insight into the Bobby that he and Dean grew up with, but if the Bobby she knows is anything like the Bobby they know, then her Bobby's story is not pretty either. Two two thoughts here. It was uh, Sam serving up some looks. That was a very sharp jacket. <laughs> <laughs> he looked he looked radiant under the forest sun here. Yeah, it beautiful was blue. Is this a fictitious forest or tis? Oklahoma is outside of the radius that I care right. about, and so I'll <laughs> let it be whatever it wants. You'll you'll let that one slide. And two, um, yeah, this is where Sam is. It, it, Sam and Mary are talking about Mary here now. Yes, and uh, and it, it's just super cute when uh, Sam is kind of awkwardly trying to encourage his mother to uh, pursue the relationship. Yeah, and and, and uh, Mary says. You know, I just I'll try if I'm even ready to put myself out there again. And and uh, awkward Sam and again yeah. Mary kind of it was cute. It was cute. She, Mary she's kind of enthusiastic. It. She she just lights up when she's thinking about you know the prospect of putting herself out there again. And that when you okay, I'm gonna limit my 30 <laughs> second John feels here. But I'm like think about like <laughs> the the history that went on for John Dean and Sam as when Mary passed away I say passed away when Mary was killed and then now you can see Mary going well you know like my my life is still going on I there's things that I could do with it and to have Sam there encouraging her to pursue her interests I'm like what what a good son what an awkward conversation but what a good son (laughs) Uh uh-huh Mary Mary says as much oh I shouldn't be telling you this but yeah you're totally right you're totally stop it stop it B you can't be no I, more John feels I I I that was below 20 seconds I, I know fine. but now I have to but now I have to back you up on it and and say yeah look at what John became also oh my god off of last week's episode Jaeger <laughs> David Jaeger John the monster after this tragedy in his life and then look at mary now mary who was uh, risen from the ashes entire yeah well who has had her entire life also uprooted uh, as she knew it and she is better yeah she isn't looking for vengeance she is looking for growth oh Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And 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 John feels fuck that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sam and Mary are walking through the forest here and Mary spots something unusual. She sees this burnt area. And as she's picking through it, she is finding a collection of IDs that belong to the same person but are for various government positions. Mm-hmm. And while this is going on, Bobby and Dean are also walking through the woods and they come across an old trapper's shed and they go to investigate it. But while Dean is stepping into the shed, Bobby sees someone else walking through the forest and goes to pursue him instead. 
Yeah, yeah. So th- we go, we uh, have this rapid uh, back and forth on Sam and Mary investigating this burn pit and Dean slash Bobby, even though Bobby runs wa- runs off, Dean's not actually aware of Bobby leaving him at this um, uh, trapping cabin. But Dean is investigating this cabin and he discovers the body of the man that we see Mary and Sam kind of discovering the re- the remains of the possessions of yes the the burnt out wallet of this they're mm. presuming would be a hunter You're right because he has a number of IDs from everything from FBI to forestry yes and so while Dean is investigating the body that he has found, there is a noise behind him. And when he turns, it is the same ghoul that was seen before. He raises his weapon and stabs at it. And it puffs out into like <laughs> Baker's confectionery sugar level of dust covering Dean. Ash attack. Ash attack. <laughs> Yes. And, and his face is just like the fuck just like what clownery uh-huh. just happened here uh-huh he yeah yeah the uh, ghoulish old man walker um it charges dean and, and he just re- stabs him through the heart and ash attack he just goes up in a puff of smoke yeah and when Dean steps out from the cabin, he's looking for where the hell Bobby was. And Bobby is kind of hustling his way back there. And they both have this moment of, well, what the hell happened to you? Well, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then Dean's just like, fuck it. Come on. Let, yeah. Let's. This is too weird. We need to regroup. Yep, exactly. So after this scene comes next with... Uh, Sasha in the same room as where her father is being tended to, and she hears a noise upstairs and goes to investigate. She's calling for Neil, but he's not present anywhere. Mm-hmm. And she, when she makes her way to the attic door, when she opens it, she is attacked by a thing with fangs. She flees, but it doesn't follow her. Did you? I I literally watched that jump scare with the monster uh, uh where sasha pushes open a door into a dark room or corridor or something but as she opens this door she, uh, a monster jumps out and and like you said sasha runs but she is not actually being pursued um but that monster i i i rewound three different times trying to figure out what is that it's got like pointed ears it's bald it's like yeah it's got it's got fangs but i don't know if it would i don't know if there are fangs that i recognize i guess as as one of our world's monsters so i was like this is this is a monster but i don't even know that i would say it's a monster that i've seen before so yeah yeah i would agree on that it just was a generic frightening figure right right and uh <laughs> we get and then we get Sasha shock blanket in the in the foyer uh the foyer and she is explaining what happened to yes. Mary Yes, and Mary, Mary and Sam are sitting there with her and Sam is assuring her that she's not crazy and they explain themselves as hunters and what their nature is 
the, a metaphorical shock blanket, I should say. Yeah, but, Neil's right uh, beside her comforting her, though. <laughs> and poor Sasha, she's just... Like like you said, uh, Sam and and Mary are trying to explain to her, no, you're not crazy. If you say you saw a monster, she says, I don't know. I don't know what I saw. I don't know what it is. It it It's crazy. It's insane. But it looked like a vampire. And they're just like, oh, honey, that's not like this. That's not the strangest thing we've heard ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the strangest thing we've heard in the past two hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Dean comes in and still total, totally ashed out. And he's he's like okay okay let's let's we've got a problem guys yeah dean dean is really glad that sasha and neil have been filled in and he's just like yeah i found this dead guy and they get (laughs) into this quick comparative between okay the ids match the body so Uh something is killing hunters and and it's just the ping pong back and forth for sasha like what the fuck are these lunatics talking about yeah she's like i had max capacity of like my ability to deal with things Uh hit like two days ago when i found out my father was dying and now i have four strangers in the house i am being told like vampires are real i'm being told that there's a body on my property and they just keep on talking like this is all cool like no i've reached 120 percent my limit i need to go shut down yeah, yeah. Sasha's not having it. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, Dean says that who attacked him was Mr. Rawling, her father. And she's like, dude, he's like right there. Tell me how he's doing that then. Like, Right, right. But but Sam and Dean are too busy just being like, this makes no sense. Yeah, it, it is for, it is 16 hits a minute here. Uh, yeah, Sasha's asking questions. Neil's asking questions. No one's getting any answers because they're just too wrapped up in the mystery of this because it doesn't make sense. Uh, Sasha saw a vampire. I saw a, a, a zombie. Uh, we have a dead hunter in a hunting cabin and just nothing's adding up here. Yeah. And they walk through really quick theories that come after this. Like, okay, well, maybe it's not monsters. Maybe it's manifestations. You know, could it be a spell? Could it be a psychic? You know, there's psychokinetic powers that could be at play here. And there's just so many pieces that are moving so quickly in this conversation that I'm like, Meredith, you've done an (laughs) excellent job, like delicately keeping all of these plates spinning up in the air. Absolutely. And they kind of land on, um, I did not write down the name of the... uh, Fred Jones? Fred Jones, the uh, psychokinetic individual who who made everything go Looney Tunes, as they describe it. It was from season eight? Season eight? Um, I'm nodding. Yes, you're... (laughs) It's okay, I won't make fun of you this time. Um, season eight. And we're like, okay, we've seen this before where an individual could make his dreams come true in a way. And maybe, you know, this uh, uh, where before we had this elderly man in a coma who was bringing to life his favorite cartoons. Maybe this guy is bringing to life his worst nightmares some yeah. sort of manifestation and, of monsters. Yeah, Sam is spinning this theory, but he's like, why the hell would he scare his own daughter? And yeah. even Sasha is like, my father, the psychic, 
eight question marks. Uh, no, my father, the workaholic, my father, the narcissistic tendencies guy. Like if there's powers there, I would have no idea about them. Yeah. And again, Dean goes to the fact that Sasha was scared. And so they go, what were you doing when you got scared? And it points to her being scared away from the attic. So yeah. there's some sort of purpose behind this. It, yeah, yeah. And I, I really, it was, a, it was a really good Dean moment, too. It was uh, Dean, uh, very cl- clever, maybe is the word. But it, he tunes in on the significance of the fact that, so Sasha heard a noise. She said she wanted to go investigate. She thought it might have been rats in the attic. So she was going to go to the attic, but she was scared away. And instantly, Dean latches onto that. You were going to go to the attic, but you didn't. Yes. And Sam's like, yep, got it. Instantly, he's he's gone. He's going to, he pulls out his machete. He is going to the attic. Um, we did skip over the fact that Mary is no longer here. Yes. Well, when it was brought to attention that there was a hunter that was killed on the premise, at this point, Mary goes to leave to check on Bobby because Bobby didn't come in with them. And so she's run out to the truck where Bobby was last seen, but he isn't there right now. And so she's calling for him and looking for him. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam has gone off to investigate the attic. Uh, Dean is playing protector on the downstairs. Um, and we, <laughs> I do like this next scene. Set, yes. set, set, set me the scene. Yes. So with Mary outside and Sam upstairs, we are left with Sasha and Dean in that living room area. And Sasha is doing a... A meds plus alcohol combination, which I feel is a terrible decision. And Dean is behind her sharpening his machete and she is just so overwhelmed. She's so totally done with the day that she snaps at him. Like, do you really need to be doing that? Right. (laughs) I felt so bad for Sasha. I was like, Dean, stop it. He, he wouldn't out. even think anything of it. Like, this is this is a soothing, repetitive motion. So, I mean, this might even be calming to Dean. But uh-huh. Sasha, who's never had anything like this in her life before, and who we learn, like, she wouldn't have even wanted to come back here. Now she has all of these things to deal with on top of her emotional baggage. Yep, yep. She yeah. she snaps at Dean. Like you said, do you have do you have to be doing that right now? And Dean kind of throws uh, throws up his hands. He's like, okay. And he, it, so then they're left in silence. And Dean's the one who tries to broach that silence. Yeah, Dean asks if she's okay, and she just is like, no, no, I don't want to do any opening up to strangers right now. Like. Just my my dad's dying. There's strangers in the house, and Dean realizes he says so. So there's no love lost between you and your father here, huh? Yeah, and Sasha says I'm just not feeling up to a heart to heart right now. Yeah, she doesn't want to engage on this detail, but somehow Dean manages to glean a little bit more information from her, where she essentially says that her dad wasn't a great person. He was always gone and that her mother had mental illness, like she had depression in her family and without her father there to help her, um, Sasha ended up finding her mother when she was 12. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so it's left very vague as to what occurred in that moment for Sasha when she's 12, but she really resents that her father took no accountability or indeed didn't even apologize for Sasha having gone through that. Right, because when Sasha says... uh... It reveals that she lost her mother at a young age. Dean says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And Sasha's like, everyone's always sorry. Yeah. That's what everyone says, except him indicating her father. He never apologized. And we get, we get the feel that uh, of all the people who apologize, you know, to offer your condolences, it doesn't mean anything. The gesture is important regardless of what the gesture actually is, I guess. Well, no, what I, I'm, what I was going to say is, like, if I can get my thoughts together. <laughs> so when people offer their condolences, they say, I'm sorry, but they're not, uh, they're not assuming blame for the thing that happened. They're just offering condolences. Now, we were kind of making the distinction here where she said, um, you know, that's what everyone says. I'm sorry. Offering their condolences except for my father. And you see uh, we're drawing the line between... Uh, condolences and the one person that she feels actually has something to be sorry for yes that's true there was one person who she would have liked to have seen take on some responsibility because she accused him as much earlier he knew that her mother was not okay but he was never around to do anything about it Yeah, and Sasha really regrets. She says that she worshipped him as a kid and and she just didn't know any better, but he is her only family now. Um, yeah. (laughs) So are you gonna are you gonna bring up the John Fields or should I? You got twenty seconds, go. I can't I can't (laughs) Oh god, okay. Make him Dean Fields and then you can talk as long as you want. (laughs) anyways so (laughs) i have my notes say sasha airs her daddy issues but also i love her and um, i really adore her she's a great character she's a great character for sure um but so (sighs) she says when when she finishes her her thoughts on her father she says you want to know what the most ridiculous part is I worshipped him when I was a kid. I didn't know any better. He was the only family I had left. She she phrases it in present tense. He is the only family that I have left. But um, <laughs> I was so entrenched in Dean feels that I actually wrote it in past tense. So, <laughs> so, so, I mean, but that is Dean, right? Dean worshipped his father. His entire identity was wrapped up in his father. And Sasha says, I didn't know any better. Yeah, I was just a kid when I started doing this. Yes. You live a life, but there's these things that are so difficult to unlearn as the wool gets pulled back from your eyes. You start seeing people for who they really are. He was the only family I have, which is exactly mirrored to Dean, Sam, and John. Uh, uh, John was Dean's world. And what Dean says next is where I just am sent into. It's when I go to the kitchen and take six shots. Because (laughs) (laughs) Dean says, you want my advice? Let it go. The 
the past is and i am i am literally quoting because i paused and i wrote down word for word this, <laughs> this so like i'm sorry but i i have it written down word for word too. <laughs> yeah he says he says let it go the past is nothing you can do about it now so it's just baggage yeah you can't change it so let go of that baggage let and... it go and you'll feel a lot lighter Yes, but oh. but oh my gosh. Okay, now my question comes to how much do we have an honorable narration going on here? Like how much is what Dean's saying meant to comfort Sasha versus actually being honest about what he does? Because Sasha turns it around right away and says, is that what you do? And he just says that he tries every day to do I- that same thing exactly exactly he okay so i don't know what episode it was i don't know what season it was i have no idea i don't even know the situation in which this line came out but i do know that dean was asked this question before listeners let me know please god because it's it's it's, (laughs) i'm dying inside i'm haunted i'm dying inside um dean was asked this question before where he offered dean offered um some advice on how to move forward or how to cope with all the horribleness that's that that surrounds you and he was asked is that what you do and he said hell no i did the exact opposite of that Oh, <laughs> and that was that was a couple seasons ago was and that then, was that when he and Cass were in the diner yeah it was wasn't it I haven't even watched this episode <laughs> you're so right yes it was <laughs> it was the diner date oh my god <laughs> all right listeners you're off the hook on this one yeah yeah so so Dean is offering um cast this nugget of wisdom on on how to uh, cope and <laughs> i i remember now cast gives him this little knowing look and says is that what you do and <laughs> dean says hell no i do the exact opposite of that but don't mm-hmm. be me i'm not i'm not a role model, model to look up to but it was it, it was mirrored to this right here can can i throw something into the works here I mean, I know Sasha's talking about her father, and we can definitely draw that line quickly to where Dean is. But to me, what is the most pressing on Dean's mind that he needs to let go of is his his agreement to let Michael possess him. Oh, absolutely. And, and so although we could sit here and like question, okay, what did he mean when he was thinking of these things? I I really don't think that it was John on his mind in this moment or like his growing up. I think what was most pressing for him was learning to let go of the fact that he said yes to Michael. I mean, it doesn't draw as neat a line, but for his conclusion, saying that you would have to try and let it go and that he tries to do it every day. I really felt like that was more a comment on him trying to deal with his Michael deal more than anything. Oh, dude, I'm not disagreeing with you 100% yes. Uh, Dean's conclusion on this episode, when we reach the end of the episode, is him talking about moving on from Michael. So uh, what's on his mind in this moment is absolutely Michael. Michael is what we should be thinking about. But 
but we get right. thrown this this curveball and we're like spirals. We're just like Junji Ito. There's fucking Uzumaki on the wall right now. We got to follow the spiral. Like no, oh. I'm a fucking one trick pony. Okay, I just have all the Winchester feels, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make you listen to them. So <laughs> just wait. I know it's like not if... what we were supposed to be thinking about here, but how uh... bad is it gonna be if we go back to like season one, season two? <laughs> Every episode is going to be three hours long and it's just going to be an unedited sob fest. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so for, but I don't know. I just think it's, it, I think it's very, very, very fresh for Dean to be putting forth this kind of optimism. Yeah, he's trying to essentially build a new skin above the scars that he has like this is the way that he reacted in the past this was his cycle and it is unhealthy and he is trying to break it but to try and break those old ones so difficult it's easier to kind of just shuffle them into a box and tuck them away but with his current issues he's like okay what I did before didn't work I have to try something new and I'm gonna at least provide lip service to to these thoughts even if I struggle with actually implementing them no no I it's uh, this whole scene yes no sorry when I say no I'm not like telling you no I'm just I was like I just put a sentence out there and you're like nah (laughs) no no at my heart um Uh, so (laughs) Anyways, uh, it's what fine, was I going to say? So, I, I, I only realized three no's in that I was like, oh, no, I'm not talking to you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just just uh, voicing my despair. Um, so you, you say that um, he is lip service. You know, he's going to fake it till he makes it. He knows that... what he has done before is not moving him forward so he's going to try something new but for me it was like it wasn't a fake it till you make it because his face in this moment there's just such serenity over him there's such um he's just very secure in in what he's saying the past is baggage drop it and Try, try, try to move forward, and you'll feel a lot lighter doing it. Yeah. And it's just like, it really is just so different from that, hell no, I do the exact opposite of that, but still you should listen to me because I'm trying to, I, I know how I could be better, but I just don't. Yeah. To you... what he's saying now, which is, yes, I try. Yes. Yes. Yes, the cognitive dissonance between what he believes he should be doing, what he's actually doing. He's really trying now to actually work through that dissonance and try and be like, okay, I'm going to make these things overlap. And it's not easy, but it is better than just outright dismissing this as something I can't do. The love, Simon. You know what this is? Growth. I'm doing (laughs) the hand motion. Yes. (laughs) I loved it. Great scene. Yes. Yes, that was probably my favorite scene of the episode. So yeah, we we go from that scene with Sasha and Dean back to Sam. 
And Sam's upstairs with his machete out and he finally gets inside the attic door and he's looking around inside and there's just, you know, the usual detritus, like creepy dollhouse and taxidermy. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, every house. The, yeah, the usual shit you'd find in any old attic. Yes. And then Maggie! I wrote Maggie with three exclamation Maggie. marks. <laughs> he, yeah. he finds her and she has this IV attached to her neck that he pulls out. And she's a little bit delirious, but she is immediately telling him, it's here, it's here. And right behind him is one of these pseudo vampires that we've seen before. And Sam attacks it and it dusts the same way that it did with Dean. When when Maggie was like, it's here, Sam, it's it's here. I was like, use your words. Come on. What, yes. What? Yes. What, what is your it referring to? Because that's just a pronoun. What's the proper noun associated with it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I was just thinking about this. Like, we were talking about what do these vampires look like? And at my initial impression, I was thinking of um almost this hybrid between, like, the vampire and the werewolves that were on Buffy. And then the fact that when they attack them, they dust. I'm like, that that's a little bit Buffy for me, too. Uh, may- maybe Meredith's a-, a fan. Maybe, yeah. She's just doing a subtle nod. Like, if if Jin had their way, then they would be making <laughs> dust bombs, too. No, well, I mean, what I think it is, is that, so, we haven't actually talked about what these monsters are manifestations of yet, but uh, this vampire... We did see that in the apocalypse world last season, um, the mm. monsters have gone feral and they were more monstrous. You, you right. Yeah, I think I think that if we were to look back on that one cave sequence where we entered into this nest of feral vampires, I think there were vampires. Yes. It would have been the same prosthetics there that they used here. Excellent point. <laughs> so so this vampire is a the ones that Maggie's more attuned to. Right, apocalypse world vampire. Yes, perhaps. And poor Maggie. I like your Buffy. I like your Buffy better though. So. I'll say. I- Pulling that straight out of my ass and being like, what? Is this a thought? Is this a thought? (laughs) But poor Maggie. Maggie. She's immediately apologizing to Sam. She's like, I'm sorry for getting caught. And Sam is being a good dad and just being like, no, like you did nothing wrong. Yeah. And uh, he dusts out the pseudo vamp and we're back to Dean? No. We're back to Bobby in the forest. Yep. Bobby is just hunting around, I guess. He's been haunted by the fact that he saw a figure earlier in the forest and has been looking for him. And then lo and behold, this person comes towards him with burnt out eyes and it is Daniel. And Daniel introduces himself by going, hey, dad, and then absolutely wailing on Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Poor Bobby is just disbelieving as he's getting his beat down, but Daniel is adamant that he's real and that he is happy about what he is doing to Bobby. Yeah, Daniel is kind of doing what Bobby was doing to Sam earlier. Like you said, Sam was just accepting Bobby's criticisms as his as what he deserved. Yes. Exactly the same way that Daniel is voicing and validating Bobby's own worst fears about the fate of his son. Oh, absolutely. Like, poor Bobby is being told here that, you know, my son 
he was crucified. They crucified me in piece by piece. And Daniel goes and pins him up on a tree with an angel blade. And he's going picking out another one about to do the same thing. And Mary shows up. She's threatening to shoot him. And indeed tries to. And she gets another beat down for it. And Daniel pins her to the ground and is choking her. And and, uh, Bobby has this brief battle of... um you know, between his reluctance to hurt this manifestation of his son and his impulse to protect Mary. Yeah, we we have Bobby that has to come up to where Daniel is choking Mary and make the action of killing Daniel. And it just makes me think of when Sam was recounting the story of their Bobby to Mary earlier and saying that Bobby had to do the impossible thing and like put kill Take his care wife. of it himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. here is this other Bobby. Like this seems to be a fate you guys can't escape. I had the exact same thought about that mirror for sure. Yeah. That parallel. Yeah. It's not supposed to be easy for us and it's not supposed to be easy for him, but my God, you wish that they could catch a break. Yeah. 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 Ash attack. Yep. Another dust bomb. Poof. <laughs> and we change scenes we return to dean and sasha entering into the room where mr rowling is being kept and neil is at his bedside dean is looking over the equipment that neil has set up for mr rowling and it's in this moment that dean recognizes and he's questioning the transfusion equipment that is in there and yeah neil goes oh no no it keeps him up on iron you know and oh my god (laughs) <laughs> Dean takes like the the worst possible. Like, it was glorious. Trying to find a subtle way of getting Sasha to leave He's... the room by like, hey, can you go make me a sandwich? I'm like, you ask Sasha that, and she's like, bitch, you make your own sandwich. <laughs> and you and you could see the moment in the sentence when he's like, oh fuck, <laughs> yeah, I I I gotta commit to this. Yeah, he's like, make... this was a terrible choice, but it's the choice I made. <laughs> make me a sandwich. Sasha, bitch, please. Yeah, like, really? Really? In the year of our Lord? (laughs) (laughs) But Dean is total non-subtle in his get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yeah, he mouths go and, like, puts a head nod with it to boot. And it's like, you're lucky Neil is just straight up staring at Mr. Rowling right now, because (laughs) otherwise that cat would be out of the bag. It was, it, it was fun. Yeah. As as soon as Sasha leaves, Dean pulls out a gun and he trains it on Neil, who's surprised. But Dean says that he remembers that rig and yeah. that Neil is taking blood, not giving it. And He says he remembers that rig. It took him a while to recognize it because it's been a while. But he recognizes the rig as something he was hooked up to a long time ago. Season three! Woo! Yes. Sorry, I like season three a lot, so. Yes, yes. And lo and behold, the villain is a djinn. And so Neil reveals his eyes and the tattoos show up on his skin. And Dean is immediately asking why he's going after hunters. Finally, a uh, upgraded monster aesthetic that doesn't make me want to gouge my fucking eyes out. You didn't want, like, big prosthetics on a djinn, too? (laughs) I'm, I was surprised that his eyes didn't slit and his ears didn't, like, grow to points. <laughs> they were like, no, no, the tattoo budget is enough. 
And Dean asks the question, why are you going after hunters? And Neil goes, well, because you told me to. Mm-hmm. Is this still part of the game? The test that you put out for me? And Dean is playing like a hundred question marks showing up in his head and then it all boils down. He realizes that Neil is talking about Michael. You think I'm Michael. And so Neil's kind of narrative purpose here is to bring back to Dean those uh, Michael's actions are my own. Yeah, that's what's happening here is that this whole time, Neil has seen Dean, perceived him as Michael, and has just assumed that there's been this elaborate ruse that has been going on. And Neil is just doing his part, he thinks, by keeping up his end of the bargain, which is namely to find someplace quiet, set up shop, and kill as many hunters as he can. Yeah, Neil has been put on this path by Michael. And, you know, even when Dean tells Neil I'm not Michael Neil kind of accepts it he's like oh I was wondering um but he still he doesn't actually separate Dean from Michael no no he still frames everything that Michael has done for him everything that Michael has done to elevate Neil and the djinn um he gives Dean responsibility for it yes It's a bit of a reflection, like you say, of how Dean is struggling with his own internal, uh, is it Michael's fault? Is it my fault? Because here Neil is being like, well, you guys are one and the same. And, you know, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain because I found my powers extremely limiting before, you know, the best that I could do is attack one person inside their head. Now I can read minds, I can see nightmares, and I can bring these things into reality. Yeah, and now we finally learn what these manifestations actually are. The three manifestations that we've seen, um, Walker Rowling, the alt-world vampire, and Bobby's son, Daniel. Yes. Those are all living nightmares for Rowling, Maggie, and Bobby, respectively. Yes. And isn't that interesting that Mr. Rawlings fear, I mean, Neil puts it to words saying that he just doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to die alone. And so Neil has been using his own face to keep people away from the property. So he, he this new gin can bring these nightmares to life. And they're not even, the purpose of these nightmares is not even to torment the people that they're born from, you know? Mm-hmm. They are just out in the world as these manifestations of fear. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Rowling's biggest fear was that he is... I, I go back to Rowling because this is the monster This is the monster that we've seen the most of. Rowling's biggest fear was to die alone in this house. And, and, and it was so... I like... Uh, we see Neil who up to this point has been this happy-go-lucky, really, like, quirky kind of yeah plucky that's the word uh person who's just really interested in the historical society and the history of the house and the grounds and uh, for him in this moment to say uh rowling's biggest fear is to die alone unwanted and to rot on this property he says this house and this property was such derision that uh it, I don't know. I don't know. I like the uh, 
differential between the facade that Neil had before to now where he's showing his true colors. I I find that there is a lot of background lift that is happening amongst the dialogue that is, I mean, it goes to show just how talented Meredith is as a writer, because there is so much um, minutia that has to take place in this episode to have all of the events make sense. Yeah. You said before, spinning plates. Um, But similarly, it's just all of these threads that she doesn't forget a single one of them you yeah know? every thread is tied off and brought through the episode and it's good and i feel like we don't often get to see like a monster of the week that has a personality that speaks to what they are like in the day-to-day before sam and dean find them and we just with neil and his interests like he says he has a subscription to our architectural digest he was told by Michael to go find someplace quiet and basically lay a trap. And then this is the location that Neil chose. Like there are personality aspects that are coming up from his choices that we can just take on a subtextual level because I mean, we're moving so quickly through the story that these pieces just shine through without having the light necessarily put on them. It's, um, we do not have as many Monster of the Week, uh, I, I hate to call them filler episodes because they're not, but. There's ARC and then there's Standalone. <laughs> standalone, yeah. M- me, five years ago when I was watching Mainlining seasons one through ten, um, I may or may not have skipped some filler. <laughs> I- I've watched them since then, but it just kind of, like, it highlights for me that the Monster of the Week episodes of the past five seasons or so versus the Monster of the Week episodes that... It's a narrow window because I don't want to say of the first few seasons because that was the foundation of the show and they were good, but I'm off on some uh, tangent that doesn't... Well, no, I can see what your tangent is, though, because when we had the first five seasons, you felt the arc very specifically in certain episodes, and in other episodes, it it was barely there. Yeah. And I feel as Supernatural has gone on in seasons 10 through 15, let's just put that out there, that Mm -hmm. they have worked to weave the arc and the standalone episodes together. So it's not necessarily that you can pull any one piece out and still get the entire picture. I just, in the past few years, I give so much credit to the writing team because we brought this show so much life and um i don't know i i I, again i hate to say we brought it back but we we kind of really strengthened (laughs) it's because i mean the initial structure for season one through five absolutely worked for it but i think that there is a strengthening factor in learning how to weave your episodes together so that all together they are bringing you a story as opposed to here are the episodes to watch to understand the story and then here are the ones to watch just for fun. Meredith, good job. Yeah. A plus. A plus. <laughs> so now that the cat's out of the bag and Neil has revealed 
what his plan is, the way that it works in with Michael. And he's like, yeah, okay, we're going to fight. And (laughs) Dean has his gun out. Neil is unafraid of it because he knows that a blade dipped in lamb's blood is the thing that will actually hurt him. But but Dean's like, nah, I'm I'm pretty sure I can do some damage too. Uh, Well, well, well hurt versus kill we've made that we're making that distinction here because uh i i do again in the writing i love this because we when we approach a monster of the week right mm-hmm. a lot of the times we approach the monster um we have to have our silver bullet right we have to have our uh yeah, there's a bit of song and dance involved to make sure that your characters have the elements they need in order to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. We, I feel like we sometimes approach the Monster of the Week episodes with we have to have the ace in our sleeve, you know? Which is true to an extent. We spend half the episode researching on the way to kill the thing, but... It just, I like that we subverted the narrative a little bit on this episode with this monster that where Neil is staring down the barrel of a gun and he says, you, you know, as well as I do that that won't kill me. And Dean says, doesn't have to kill you. I can sure as heck slow you down though. Yeah. Shoots him right in the leg. and It's like, it still hurts, doesn't it? I mean. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. But Neil is still keeping up that facade of strength or at least superiority over where Dean is right now and saying, you know, I'm curious, what are your nightmares? And he knows that Dean is Michael's favorite monkey suit. And so he's not actually going to do any damage. He just wants to do a peek in. Yeah, maybe maybe no physical damage, but that doesn't mean that psychological damage isn't fair game. Mm Mm-mm. And so this is another case where already in this season, we have now a third figure that is entering into Dean's mind and pulling through information. And Dean's eyes roll back and Neil's powers are rolling out over his hands. And Neil flinches back and it's almost like he is afraid of what he's seen. I don't... Does he flinch back or does... Is he pushed back? To me, it seemed like, see, now on my first watch, I thought that he flinched back as as if afraid of what he saw. But on this watch, the second watch, I thought that it was pretty explicitly that he was pushed back or struck at by something within Dean's mind. Because... Yes, yes, because on the first watch, I was like, oh, shit, because uh, I, I e- either way, I'm landing firmly on Michael because we saw Michael abandon Dean, but with no resolution. Really. Yeah. Why? So, who? Where? Like all the questions that exactly. Arise. So uh, that's that's at the forefront of my mind. What did Neil see in Dean's mind? Yeah, there's something in there. And it does frighten Dean to see Neil's reaction to whatever he yeah. saw. I don't know. It just It makes me wonder how sure 
Dean is in his own... I mean, that's so terrifying to say, though. How confident is Dean in his own mind? You know? Is Dean having these doubts uh, or thoughts? That that just brought me to, like, the the quote from P.T. The only me is me. Are you sure the only you is you? (laughs) Just that little bit of terror to be like, there's something inside of my mind that I can't see, but this person saw and it terrifies them yeah yeah just that one little kernel of doubt is is all you need because and i think this is why even maybe dean can't get over it and because it care it lingers it's on him right it's effused in him right 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 he was so um he was so driven in the third episode looking for kaya he was go 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 i need a resolution because right now i'm at a loose ends and then he was left at those loose ends and he is still at those loose ends and no there's not going to be any resolution for him in his mind or in his peace of i mean in his peace of mind yeah, he's going to continue to gnaw at this idea here. Like, it's very difficult for Dean to let go what he perceives as failures or what he perceives as loose ends regarding something that is a threat out there. Yeah, I really do wonder what Dean's thoughts are in this moment when he sees, because in the moment he takes the opportunity when Neil reels back to progress the fight, because he has to. This is life or death. But, oof, just the thought of him kind of hindsight this moment spinning in his mind later when he's at home laying in bed at the bunker. Yeah. What does it mean? Oof, like oof. this This scene is so thrilling as an audience member because you are sitting in the same boat as Dean as being like, well, what just happened? What, what are, what, 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 what? Like, (laughs) it it just puts these seeds of doubt into Dean. And I think it's the last thing that he needs is to be questioning everything around him. And yeah, it gives him something different to worry about other than, uh, am I responsible for everything Michael's done here? He, maybe he can turn those worries a bit more inward, but not that that's a good thing. Well, I'm just I, like... I feel like, okay, so now he's got like this big puzzle, which is like, what the fuck is Michael doing? And Neil has basically just been like, hi, here's another puzzle piece. And he's Ugh. like, cool, I'm still panicking over this. Like, thanks, I hate it. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, I hate it. I'm going to bash your fucking skull in. Yeah, I, I wrote that I down. Know. He's like, he, he does a beat on and then he unloads the clip into the oh gym. Because it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, yeah, that might be the most efficient way to kill you, but it can't be the only way. I mean, the, I don't know. We haven't seen a, a moment like this. So we're we're now back in the fight. We're wrapping up the fight. Um, Dean does not have a blade dipped in Lan's blood, but he has a bookend that he can snatch from the desk behind him. And, and he has gumption by God. He'll get it done. And, <laughs> and bash this Jin's skull in. And then when the... Neil is finally unconscious. He unloads his clip in this Jen's face. And um, this is not a level of brutality we've seen since season 10. But I'm not knocking it. I'm not. 
Before we wander too far from this, though, I want to bring up the last thing that Neil said there, which is, you think I'm the only trap? He made dozens of us just waiting for you, your family. And Dean goes, you don't know my family. And then, boom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so we are, we are now, I don't know, we could also kind of look at this as a kickoff of the monsters versus hunters. It's really cemented at this point. Yeah. That not only are they out there, but they are laying their sights on hunters and have been given orders to get rid of them. Yeah. This is the uh, first strike of Michael's war where the monsters are the superior race and um, hunters are the first line of defense. Yes. So we have some guerrilla warfare going on right now. Yes. And I remember upon initial watching of this episode, it really raised the question for me of how they could um, pursue this train of thought. Because this is just one of many traps. So it brings the question of, well, what do the other ones look like? It's not just a dozen gins sitting in fancy homes being like, I sure hope a preservation society (laughs) pretender comes by. So... I don't know. It was just fun to kind of speculate on what those other things could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at how Maggie caught wind of this uh, this hunt. Right. It was this news article that had this group of uh, students uh, chased away by a zombie. That's something that would catch the attention of a hunter. Right. Yeah. It's. It's bait. It's bait. We're laying down bait. Exactly. It's innocuous enough that a non-hunter will read that and be like, oh, kids these days. Whereas a hunter will be like, "Mm, no, we got to go check it out. But it's not high enough on the threat radar to have (laughs) them bringing backup or anything like that. Right. Right. We we have two solo hunters that were both killed. It's a fly trap. Mm -hmm. Rip. (laughs) Yeah. So now that Neil's down for the count... Now Dean is pulling out the equipment from Rawling and Sasha now finds out that her father will actually live, that he's not on death's door. It was just because of this situation. So now she has this whole new thing that she has to process. Yeah. But she admits, okay, like we can't change the past. We can only work with it. And so she kneels down beside her father's bed and just says like, it's okay. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you feel about that as being the message here? I mean, do you want me to relate it back to the Sasha Rowling Dean John mirror? Yes, but you or... have 30 seconds. So. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an enabler, B. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, no, let's not have an interesting conversation, Renny. Just let's just <laughs> skip over that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So here now, Sasha, after all of this loss and yeah, regret, distance, almost. Like, yeah. Distance, then loss, then regret. Um, she is given an opportunity to... Uh, change that in a way I'm not gonna say like she had to you know she didn't she didn't have to take this as an opportunity to make amends but as far as Dean and John it it really is I 
I think it ties into what Dean is saying here. You know, he could be resentful. And I think that he, you know, growing up, he was never resentful. With distance after John's death, he grew resentful. And yeah, with distance, he gained further insight into what was going on. And he, with time, he also got to experience... He started to realize that the, the skin that he was in was one that was chosen for him. And maybe it doesn't fit so well anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout the seasons, we've had a lot of... Um, I don't know, Dean lashing out um, at John or at his feelings towards John... Uh, something that we wouldn't have, ex- we wouldn't, we would never have seen from him in season one, two, or three. Um, well, we saw only briefly in the it, early seasons. Right, right, right. Because he was still so close to the situation that he was brought up in. I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> episode 300. Can't fucking wait. <laughs> uh, um, but, but, but he is now walking away from that right he's dropping it and he's moving past it i think that um i can't be why do you do this to me so back in season 12 uh he we saw him drop and move away from his resentments towards mary that he's been carrying for his whole life mm-hmm. um i think that that was his turning point season 12 this moment with mary that is his turning point where you know in doing that in healing from his wounds from mary he can look to do the same with his wounds from john yeah he can get a flavor of what that healing tastes like what it feels like and say like i think with sasha and her father as a mirror it's not necessarily that sasha has chosen to forgiven her father for what's going on it's more i feel this balance between you know if you keep recycling your experience of the past it doesn't really give you opportunity to grow and i mean dean's not talking about needing to give forgiveness he's just saying like you can't change the past so can you drop that weight from you and so I felt like this gesture that Sasha is making towards her father was more so a idea that she was trying to let go of all that hate and resentment that she felt yeah and I mean you spoke on the Dean with John angle of it but with the Dean and Michael angle it would be that Dean is also trying to just drop that baggage that he's not necessarily offering himself forgiveness for the choices that he made for saying yes to Michael or what Michael has done in the interim. But Dean is doing his best to say by wallowing in this, I'm not moving forward. I'm not doing anything of benefit. And so at least if I let go of this weight, I can move forward and hopefully we'll do something productive instead. Right. Well, we've we've got, we've wrapped up the the Rawling estate, but uh, th- those feelings and thoughts and even vocalizations on those sentiments um, do come later at the very yes. end of the episode. Yes, because when we wrap up with Sasha and her father, we move on to 
the four hunters plus Maggie returning to the bunker. And upon seeing Maggie enter into the war room, the other hunters that are already within the bunker, they crowd around her and they're very pleased to see that she is happy and fine and giving her hugs and we get this very muted scene where uh, we've driven back and and Dean and Sam come back into the bunker and it's just bustling with this hunter hub activity and so many people in the bunker. I just yes. I'll never get over it. It's yeah, so good. I, I I continue to love it. And Maggie comes in behind them and as you said when 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 the hunters that are here see maggie they uh, crowd her in 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 relief and she is greeted warmly by this whole community and i just have in my notes all caps community yes and what dean says about that like you did this he says to sam that it was you got her home we've talked about dean right but let's wrapping up sam we're bringing it around that yes sam is worthy sam is doing a good job and sam has built something incredible but but sam's face in this moment you could still see that he's that he hasn't really connected with it i mean (sighs) he doesn't seem happy still he's dwelling on the things that he regrets having happened. And but I want to be happy. I I do too. And I'm just like this poor guy. I mean, he's dishing out this advice to his brother of like, try to move on. Try to, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors by beating yourself up. And yet it's easier to say than do because you could see Sam is struggling through beating himself up on what he perceives as failures and like nearly resulting in another hunter's death. Oh, so I guess, I guess we don't really wrap up, Sam. You're totally right. But I mean, poor guy. Poor guy. He's doing so much. And like Dean said, like he's doing more than his best. Like he's doing better than his best. But Sam just holds such a high bar. He still feels like he's falling short. My baby. Come Come on. on. (laughs) Yeah. And from here, we go over to Mary with Bobby, and she is treating Bobby's wounds. And Bobby is just saying, like, you weren't supposed to see Daniel. That was that was something that was behind the walls that he had built. But Mary wants him to talk. And we now get to have the backstory of the other world, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Where... um it's not explicitly stated but we can infer that karen died in the same way that she did in our world except for one key difference in that they did have a child together uh we have a lot of history with bobby and why he doesn't have children um but in this apocalypse world in this other world uh bobby did have his son and his son uh, 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 also, you know, Bobby had support in a way that he didn't have before, uh, that he didn't have in our world. <laughs> I keep I keep talking past and present, but it's not past and present. It's an entire different u- entire different universe. Yes. Um. But uh, in this reality, uh, Bobby didn't have the support of this son 
that we're introducing to the the apocalypse bobby's past where they he says that they buried karen together well we're never told that it is karen just that his wife died unnaturally and we we can fill in karen away from me i'm not i'm just saying that she wasn't necessarily there on the page don't take karen away from yeah you're right uh (laughs) well his wife and um and they hunted together right so i i I think it is implied that uh his history kind of played out the same way that again bobby doesn't state that karen was possessed she it was it fell on bobby to kill her and that was what ushered bobby into the world of hunting but I don't know. I think that Bobby's history kind of falls parallel to our Bobby's history, except for this one key difference in that he had a, I'm going to say adult son. Yeah. Um, through this because, and I say adult because we, again, history on Bobby, even though I know this is not the same Bobby, but what we know of Bobby is that he did condemn John for bringing his boys into, into hunting and Bobby was the one who did his damnedest to try to give the Winchester boys what they were missing out on playing ball or I'm I'm not sure that I agree that it was an adult son. Oh no, don't <laughs> Okay. Remy, are okay. You ready? I'm, no, I'm not okay, I'm leaning okay, I'm back. I'm leaning back. If I'm okay. distant, it's because I'm just like braced against the wall. Okay. <laughs> I I feel like what we are seeing of the apocalypse world, Bobby, I mean, I'm going to give you 20 seconds of John feels, but that he followed parallel to the path that John followed in our world, that he had a wife who died unnaturally and he had a young child and he went down the hunter's path with him. And this path he followed without really any direction because as soon as he got sweeped up into the angel wars, as he said, he just went along with it and his son came with and when he and his son got separated from each other, then Daniel died. And basically that Bobby feels like he sent his son to die and never knew what happened to him. But what he says at the end of this is that he never thought that he would be a good dad but Daniel was the best thing in his life. And so when I was hearing that, I thought to our Bobby and the fact that he wasn't a parent and yet he was brought these two small boys whenever John Winchester had to go spend time elsewhere and that Bobby learned to be a father to them. And so for me, when I'm hearing Bobby's story with Daniel, I'm also thinking of Bobby's story with Sam and Dean. I definitely saw those John-Bobby parallels. Yeah, just just the imagery of him with his kid after his spouse passed away, falling into hunting and just making that their lives. I was like, "Mm -hmm, I've heard this song. Yeah, I just, I, 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 my, my love for Bobby and uh, wants me to think that he was better than John. Sorry for all the salt rounds on John, guys. 
I mean, it is what it is. <sighs> because, I don't know. It's okay. Um, but uh, we just have so much history on Bobby on not only... Uh, so he said, I never thought I would be a good father. And we've had entire episodes dedicated to all of the Bobby things. You know, he his contention with Karen over the fact that she wanted children. He didn't because he uh, because of his own issues with his own father and how he never felt that he was going to be a good father. And that runs parallel between our Bobby and this Bobby here. But we even in our own universe, we know, like you said, we know that he would be a good parent because we've seen him he has two boys you know? yes oh uh, so many bobby feels yes so he has his yes. children yes yes, yes. <laughs> she just whispered gently into the mic yes. yes well it wasn't gently it was the last <laughs> breath of my soul leaving my body like, oh poor soul yeah like yeah. bobby just figured that after the war he would keep hunting and it was just going to end badly for him so this ties directly back into Mary saying, I thought that we were close, but ever since we got back, something changed. And we are offered insight on that change here now in that in the apocalypse world, Bobby says, this war took my son and I always figured it would take me too. But then when he left the war, when he was actually taken from the apocalypse world he lost that um set future that he had in his mind and so he here in this new world he has jumped into hunting as a replacement to that hunting ends the same way as any war you die yeah and he just doesn't know any other way to live but mary is offering a hand and saying well let's let's go find one yeah yeah and um, they have their tender moment uh, of Mary rejecting that end for Bobby. Yeah, it, it's the do you stay and nurture your past or do you try and find growth in your future? I didn't even think about that, how it parallels to the whole overarching I I'll episode. put in it. I'll put my 11th grade essay on anything. <laughs> it was good. And so after that seed, we go back to Sam and uh, Dean is approaching him where he's reading in the war room. He brings out two beers and says, like, Maggie's excited for the next case. And, you know, she learned from the best. And Sam is still struggling. But right. it's a, it's a kind gesture that Dean is making to try and reassure his brother. Well, I think that Dean sees that recalcitrance in Sam that he doesn't want to. He still has his doubts, right? So uh, Dean, he's still in big brother mode. Yeah, he knows that Sam isn't fully feeling himself, but he's going to do his best to give him permission to take the accomplishments that he's committed. Yeah. And Dean is just trying to reassure Sam that Maggie is not broken from this and you did a good thing today and I don't know. I mean, it, but Sam is still not taking it, but we don't have it, we don't have time for Dean to call Sam out on it because Mary and Bobby come in. 
Yeah, they're basically a we-need-to-talk type thing. And Mm -hmm. it transitions quickly to Sam doing a call with Donna and getting insight into her cabin, getting permission for Mary and Bobby to go out there and kind of figure each other out. And Bobby calls aside Sam, and Sam is just like, oh, no, forget about it. I mean, things were said, but that's it. But Bobby admits that the job is no picnic, and you have it in you to be a leader, whereas he didn't, and kind of projected those same feelings onto Sam. Exactly, exactly. Bobby is here saying, the fact that I was putting my own issues onto you was unfair, And I recognize that it was unfair and you are doing a good job here. Yeah. So we're in the woods. We had Mary with Sam and Bobby with Dean. We flip it and we kind of resolve those two things, right? Because Mary is now with Dean trying to... I really, really loved that she was trying to reassure Dean that I'm not leaving and I'm still here. Uh, She's trying so hard to reassure him that this is not... I'm not leaving like I did in season 12, essentially. Yeah, yeah. it's only a few weeks. Tell me if you need anything. Like, I'll, I'll drop a hat and get there, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's but- so it, it, it's, like, it's like Mary recognizes the damage that she did uh, when she first came back. And she just doesn't want a repeat of that. She's being so... She's being so good to yeah. both Sam and Dean and, this and episode, Dean especially. Does such a nice little gesture here too. Like, just go, be happy. Gives her yes. a hug. Yes, yes, yes. We have this Dean uh, again. Growth. We have Dean doing the same thing that Sam was doing when Mary and Sam were in the woods and that they are encouraging her to go and fight for her happiness. And this is what you need. Go be happy. Yes. Yes. It's such a great moment. Awesome. Yeah. So Sam and Dean watch them go up the stairs and out the door and, um, We cut to the two of them now in the kitchen and they are making phone calls to other hunters and like Garth gets name dropped, but they're basically Uh calling everyone that they know to warn them that Michael has laid out some traps for hunters and it's freaking awesome. Oh, it's so, yeah. So they're both on the phone. They're informing everybody. Sam is the last to get off the phone. He says, so I think that's everyone. And like I kind of said before, this seems to be the true kickoff of Michael's war. We kind of end on that note, right? Where we're saying, I don't know, this is a battle that we're now fighting. Yeah. A strike has been made against us, and even though the hunter who died wasn't one that we knew, it was still a hunter, and we need to look out for each other, so spread the word. Yes, and Dean ends the episode with, uh, again, bringing it back around to those Michael feels. Yes. I really like how this one sentence went that he was saying. Like He goes, yeah. I know it's not my fault, and he, and he's trying to move on, but... The way that he cycles through his phrasing, he goes, from what I, what we, what he did. Like, he, yeah. it takes him practice, but you can see by the end, even on his face, he's like, no, I'm affirming this is what Michael did. It wasn't me. I I pulled the same line in my own notes because that was so perfect. We see, like Dean said, trying, trying every day. Yeah. 
And he just is rueful about the fact that like he was almost feeling like himself and then here's the setback that comes with all the doubts that neil raised when reading his mind and yeah i mean they just never can catch a break yeah he tell he finally assures sam that i've been trying to not forget but to move on from what happened to me in this but now we have a new monster to face yes it's very similar to it's carrying forward what we had last episode at the end of last episode that Dean is struggling, but he is moving forward. Yeah, it might not be and at the okay. pace he wants to be moving at, but he is taking steps forward. And it's just, again, with any sort of recovery, it's just frustrating when you wish you could be going faster, but recovery takes time. And he has been spending the last several episodes learning that it's not so simple and you need to put in the time and put in the effort to actually improve from where you were at. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Okay, final takeaway. Who's taking the Mary feels and who's taking the Dean, I mean, the... uh, John feels. Um, I'm I'm <laughs> dibsing the Sasha Dean conversation as being yeah. just a really strong way of giving a a character of the week and a sharp backstory. The actress does such a great job with her role. It's not often that we get to see a woman in sort of a reluctant, resentful caregiver position with a family member. I just found it really refreshing. And the fact that she was able to connect with Dean on a couple separate levels, like John and Michael, that Dean is struggling with, it was just icing on the cake. I adored Sasha as a character. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you talk about Sasha as a character of the week. I'm going to take Neil as a monster of the week. Hell yeah. It was just so, this whole episode, it was good. Yeah, we, it's the bones that we're used to seeing, but it's not at all the costuming. Yeah, yeah. I just, I I love the gin in general. Yes. Uh, I, and and Neil was such a fun character and and um, this power upgrade rate introduces so much um so many questions that you could ask about now how does that world work where Jin are capable of doing this you know it's just oh so such an interesting twist yeah and neil was a character in and of himself it was it was really fun yeah it's not like you get <laughs> to know the villain has like a reader's digest subscription like First Kip, and now Neil. A plus. We're getting all the good the good villains. Loving it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, guys, that was season fourteen, episode five. And next week, we'll be tuning in to Optimism. Yeah. Yep. Episode six, Optimism. I don't know what it's about. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Oh, apparently B knows what it was about. I was going to say, I have no idea what it was about, but I did see uh, Jack in the promo image. Yep. On Me Netflix, yodeling so. Charlie over and over again. <laughs> if you guys enjoyed this episode, hit us up on Twitter or Tumblr, either at No Chick Flick Pod for Twitter or No Chick Flick Podcast for Tumblr. You can email us at nochickflickpodcast at gmail.com. 
And if you guys are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or any of these other sites, we would love it if you could subscribe. And we would also adore you if you could rate us, preferably with a five star. But <laughs> anything that you want to do will be, I mean, we just no, want to know star. you guys are listening. Everything's out there. Please enjoy. Uh, if you enjoy it half as much as we enjoy recording it, it's a five star. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for joining. Bye. Okay, bye. I'm eating an M&M. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm an idiot. I'm going to put this in the jar. <laughs> You're fine. Are they in a fucking... Are they in a tin? No, they're in a plastic container. We can't even sneak it because there's peanuts in the middle, so it's not like you just melt them. I was about to say... I was just about to say, are they at least peanut M&M's? Yes. Because those are the only (laughs) M&M's. Okay.